Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to uh, to see uh, y'all that are here. Here, um, uh, some of y'all know that um, uh, Cameron Cole is doing a class downstairs in the assembly called called um, "Being Ready or Being Prepared for Your Worst Nightmare." Uh, so a pretty heavy class, and uh, uh, if it weren't for my job, I'd be there. Um, but here I am with y'all, and uh, I, I'm going to listen to it uh, sometime this week, and I would encourage you to do the same just to hear uh, what Cameron has to say about where the gospel uh, intersects uh, with just an awful, terrible tragedy. Um, and I'm sure that he has uh, a, God has given him a powerful message uh, to speak to that. So before we go any further, uh, let's pray. Lord Jesus, we give you great thanks for calling us to this place. And Lord, we pray even now for Cameron, uh, who is uh, just right beneath us. Um, uh, Lord, as he prepares to uh, speak uh, your word uh, to an eager audience, Lord, give him strength, uh, give him comfort, uh, give him courage, knowing uh, that your word never returns void, but accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended to accomplish and Lord, uh, we pray the same for this class, that you would be lifted up in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, uh, in my annual address, um, I, I mentioned a couple things uh, that are not new ideas, that are not uh, things that, that I've come up with, but things that are actually true about what the Advent is about and, and are good descriptors of the Advent. Uh, but uh, I thought it was good to simply distill those things into a couple bullet points. And one of those, and we're going to talk about those over the next four weeks, is um, that the Advent has a heart for the gospel. It has a heart for the gospel message. And there is something very different uh, about the Advent. Um, and um, other than being uh, a very attractive congregation, uh, there's something beyond that. Um, and, and one of those distinctiveness, distinctives is this emphasis on what we, we call the gospel. And uh, it's funny because when you say gospel, especially in this, I mean, you've got uh, gospel music, you have the Gospel Truckers Association, uh, you have uh, gospel uh, everything. And so what exactly is it? And if you ask people on the street, uh, what is the gospel, you actually might get several different answers. In fact, uh, some time ago at a large evangelical Christian conference, uh, they did sort of a man on the street, what is the gospel? And I was surprised to hear the answers, everything from, well, the gospel is uh, being like Jesus uh, to one another, or uh, it is uh, love the Lord your God with everything that you have and, and your neighbor as yourself, or um, uh, living a life that is worthy of the calling as, as a Christian. And I was waiting for someone to actually give the right answer. And it's not... It's not that the Advent, and, and I want to make this very clear, the Advent doesn't have some sort of corner on the market on, uh, on the gospel that it's we're right and, and everybody else uh, is wrong. It's not that at all, except we're very clear about the distinctive message of the gospel, which if you wanted to sum it up very clearly to, uh, I'm going to get out of the way and just let St. Paul speak. Uh, For God made him who knew no sin, to become sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Or, as Jesus so aptly put it, uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son to the end that all that believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For I tell you, I did not come into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved. Full stop. 
just stopped talking right at that at that point in time. And where it became very obvious to me that there was a little bit of a disconnect is uh, when I would go through these interviews um, for ordination, and even in the diocese that I came out of, South Carolina, which has a very strong identity uh, and in more ways than one. Um, we uh, we were asked questions like that, and I was always amazed to hear what what other people said uh, around me, and uh, and even when we've interviewed people for positions here at the Advent for clergy positions, folks who have come from really great seminaries that you know why use five words when forty will do, uh, and. Uh, I was just, I was so surprised by it that even people who you would think ought to get it simply don't get it. And at best, what we were hearing is it was the gospel plus something, right? It was uh, God came into the world uh, in order that the world might be saved through him. uh, And now that he has died and been raised from the dead, uh, we are to uh, uh, be disciples of Christ and to initiate any and all programs possible in order to make sure that your children don't go off the deep end. Okay. Um, and, uh, and there's nothing wrong with, with those, those things, but it's not the gospel, right? It's not a, a clear distillation of the gospel message. And so I realized that I had been operating under a very wrong assumption, <clears throat> excuse me, very early on in my ministry, especially at St. Helena's, when I would get up and I would begin to preach, and I just assumed everybody knew what I was talking about. And the line coming out of a church is always a really... We, have a, we had a receiving line at St. I love the Advent for so many reasons. But one of them is that we really only have one receiving line, and that's at 11 o'clock. And we bait you with snacks and coffee after the 11 o'clock. So a lot of people will go to Klingman Commons and not come out the front. But I kid you not, Lauren would get so frustrated. She would say, where have you been? Well, I've been in the receiving line. And she could tell because my face would be covered in lipstick and... <laughs> And I'd have to get my stoles clean. And it was, and literally the, the receiving line was 45 minutes long. Uh, no joke. So you really, uh, if you didn't know somebody's name, uh, just die, right? At that point, just you were in a really bad spot. Uh, and it was, it's always interesting to get feedback on, on what people had to say about sermons. And every once in a while, somebody would come through and um, they would sort of articulate to me what I said. And then they would come to some crazy conclusion as to what the next step was. Uh, or, <clears throat> or worse yet, they would say that was a really, really good sermon, and I would ask, "Well, what made it? What made it good?" And they would just kind of look at me, and I thought, "Well, great." <laughs> and so I now preach with an understanding that most people who are listening to what I'm saying, whether this is true or not, but but don't uh, don't necessarily understand the gospel message. And part of it, too, is that it's not just a head issue, right? If I could talk people into being a Christian, you know, we'd, be in a, we'd be in okay shape, right? And most of us would be in that boat. Uh, but Christianity is, is not just about the head. It's about the heart. And what it requires is for God to intervene in the situation in order to open up our hearts so that we can receive the gospel message. Our hearts are like stone, the Bible says, and so we need the Holy Spirit to plow it up in order to make it fertile, and you just don't know when those seeds of the gospel are going to land on fertile soil. For instance, I have this 20-somethings Bible study on Monday night, and uh, I'm always, uh, and your children 
are there. Some of you might be here that, that I see a couple uh, who are here on Monday nights, and this doesn't include you, but I, I, was, uh, I was sort of amazed at, at one point when someone came up to me afterward, and I knew that they grew up in the Advent, and uh, they said, what you just said tonight I've never heard. I thought, liar. Right? Because I mean, they, they grow, like their earliest memories going back, and this shows you how old they are, they can only remember Paul's all, right? They, they listened to Paul's preaching. They were probably an acolyte, I think. And then they, had, they were under Gil Cracky for youth ministry, right? And if not Gil, maybe even in the transition over to Cameron. And so it's impossible. It's actually impossible for them not to have heard the gospel message. And yet, you never know when the Holy Spirit is going to intervene. Right? And that's the point, is that just when you assume, oh, well, they've, they've, they've heard it before, they've heard it before, they may not have, right? God may not have given them ears to hear. Uh, in addition, you look at the New Testament and what St. Paul was doing, what did he preach whenever he came into any city or place? The gospel message, right? I, I worked at St. Helena's and I think I told our sermons averaged anywhere from 27 to 35 minutes. I would have made a fortune selling hot dogs after the 1115. <laughs> it, it, it took a long time and the mantra was sort of sermonettes make Christianettes, right? That was, that was, right. <clears throat> clearly things had changed significantly uh, after uh, Frank Limehouse had left. Um, we went a lot longer. In fact, when I was interviewing here, uh, Frank, the rector there was Jeff Miller, is Jeff Miller. And Frank said, Andrew, you need to understand that there are some differences between Jeff Miller and, and me. And I said, I know, about 17 minutes. <laughs> and the joke that I used to grow so fond of telling, Jeff's wife's name is Kristen, and she's really great. And uh, they have several children, and one of the children had brought a friend along, and they... Uh, they were so interested, intrigued by the things going on in worship. You know, why, why do they carry the cross in and why do they wear those things? And Kristen was sort of saying, well, this is why we do this and this is why we do that. And, and why do some people do this and why do some people do that? And Kristen was saying, well, this is why people do it. And then when Jeff would go up into the pulpit, he would take his watch off and place it on the pulpit. And the little boy asked Kristen, well, what does that mean? And Kristen said, absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> And yet, the sermons in the New Testament are not long, right? You can breeze through them pretty quickly in a very easy read. And uh, whether it's Peter's great sermon on the day of Pentecost, uh, or whether it's any of St. Paul's sermons there, and of course, some of them were not recorded. Uh, Jesus preached a very lengthy sermon there in the Sermon on the Mount, but typically Jesus' sermons were not very long. And so, but what we see, especially in Paul's ministry, is wherever he went, he preached the gospel message, right? That was, that's what he preached. I desire to know nothing among you except Christ and him crucified, even to the extent that he avoided baptizing certain people, although he did baptize. We had that lesson um, last week, and I thought that it was a really great Frank Limehouse moment uh, when he says, in fact, I, I didn't even, well, maybe I baptized a couple people. I can't really remember, but anyway. Um, and... Uh, so Paul was constantly putting forward the gospel message, and that's what he preached. And he didn't come with some sort of, uh, uh, he wasn't necessarily winsome. Uh, he, he wasn't seen as, as that great a preacher. And yet, uh, the Holy Spirit used what is weak in the world to shame the strong. He used that which was foolish in the world uh, to shame the wise. And uh, so when you see people getting converted through Paul's ministry, people could only say, 
That has to be the Lord because it isn't Paul. And that was the strength of the ministry, was the message and the power of the Holy Spirit in it. And Paul didn't preach anything but that. Now, um, there is an accusation from time to time around here, and was probably with Paul's ministry too, is that uh, we are one-note Johnny. <laughs> right? We've got, we've got one note, and we just hammer away at it. We might play at different tempos or different volumes, but we're still playing the same note. And that we may be guilty as charged, but above all, what we're trying to do is to be faithful to the text. Now, if I get up to you and start preaching to you from Leviticus, and I somehow bring something crazy into it, you can say, well, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I understand that. Uh, but when uh, the text is put forward in the gospel message and, and uh, the cross has to permeate everything that we preach here or we're preaching for naught. So yes, we may be one not note Johnny, but we have to be for all the reasons I've said before, but also because the gospel message is not intuitive. Right? Uh, intuitively, as human beings, we think that we are basically good and can make it on our own. Right? And this is pounded into us uh, even as children. Uh, if you have little kids or you're surrounded by little kids or you have little kids, uh, you know this, that intuitively when you're trying to help a child, what do they say? I can do it. And clearly, they cannot do it. Otherwise, you would not have had to intervene. Uh, just yesterday we went to the zoo and we had an I can do it moment which resulted in daddy having fruit punch all over his pants, right? <laughs> you can do it all right, right? You can do it, but what ends up happening is you make a mess of things. And, and that is really hard for us to understand as human beings. And so when we say, uh, right, something from outside of you, it has to be outside of you, has come to rescue you, uh, People don't like to hear that in, in the same way that our children don't like to hear, let me, and, and it's worse because you say, let me help you to the child and the child is sort of like, no, but you say, let me do it. Let me rescue you. Uh, you're going to encounter even uh, fiercer uh, resistance because we do need uh, some, we need rescue from the outside uh, rather than effort on our own part and just a little bit of help and we can make it all right. And there are a lot of churches, I think, that, that mistakenly fall into that trap where they think that you do uh, the best that you can do and then God will pick up where you leave off. Right? Uh, we had lots of little funny sayings in our house, but one of them uh, was uh, work as if it depended upon you, pray as if it depended upon God, which really meant uh, you better get to work. <laughs> Because God, God, God may help you, but he's only going to help you if you do the best that you can. Right? But what Christianity says is that God does it all. He does it all. You don't even get to, to make the first step uh, in anything. But God, in fact, comes in and makes the first, uh, initiates this salvation. But there's something ironic about the gospel in that it's freeing. Uh, what's so remarkable is that it, it reveals the truth about us and the truth about God. It not only encourage us, encourages us to be honest, it allows us to be honest. Right? Uh, often, you know, one of the things that I had to transition in England was in England, um, you don't ask, hey, how are you? 
Right? In America, we, that's, that's small talk. Hey, how are you? In England, if you say, hey, how are you, they really think that, they, that you care and want to know how they are. <laughs> when, of course, you don't. Right? <laughs> and I had an encounter where I was passing somebody on the steps. I said, oh, hey, how are you? And, and they stopped and they looked at me. And then they began to talk about how they really were. And, uh, and I've said, before, you know, some friends are like light bulbs, and then some friends are like floodlights, and you're like, whoa, uh, way too much uh, revelation. But um, what the gospel does, I mean, the thing about it is, is um, what the law does, and we have this paradigm at the Advent, and a lot of people will say, well, this is a Paul's all thing. But let me tell you, a lot of people will say, well, it's a Frank Limehouse thing. And years from now, people say, oh, well, that's just Andrew. And even some people would have said, even before Paul, oh, that's a Fitz Allison thing. Uh, and there was a point where somebody said, oh, that's a Martin Luther thing. Uh, and then uh, somebody said, oh, that was a St. Paul thing. Uh, and uh, it turns out it's a Jesus thing. <laughs> uh, and this notion that, that the law has come into our lives in order to, to crush us, right? Uh, that's, that's one of its functions uh, is to drive us to the point where we cry uncle and we cry out, for need, and yet in that weakness, in that destruction, uh, we find our very strength in Jesus, right? All of a sudden, when we are the most weak, we find that we are the most strong because we realize we can give up. We don't, we don't have to try anymore. We don't have to prove ourselves to anyone and try, or try to be anything to any person or to any group. We can just simply be, and it's okay because what you begin to realize is that we're all in the same boat, all of us are, are struggling. All of us are, are dealing with all kinds of problems. And, uh, and yet, the difference is, is that some people just have a lot healthier self-esteem than others. Uh, I, the best illustration was last Tuesday. Um, I had an all-wheel drive wagon, and I was able to make it a, a pretty significant distance. And, uh, and I was watching people with rear-wheel drive try to navigate 78 heading out toward Crestwood. And what they lacked in mechanical ability and driving talent, they more than made up for in confidence. <laughs> and, and I just thought, I mean, surely all things being equal, just objectively speaking, you're not going to make it. Right. You like I, at one point I saw one car being pushed by a Nissan Pathfinder, which was also rear wheel drive. And this lady was sort of head out the window like Cruella de Vil from 101 Dalmatians, <laughs> hair everywhere. And they were just going all over the road. If Charlie Sharp's here, he saw it because he was in front of me. And and the, she was just going all over the road. And I thought, now, what makes you think you're going to make it home like that? Right. You're and, and you're going to kill all of us. And that's our problem. In the moment, in the moment, we think, I've got it under control, right? I know that maybe my car isn't good enough, but I got a Nissan Pathfinder behind me and someone just as crazy as I am is driving, right? <laughs> you can, uh, worse yet, there was a hill that my family and I, we slid back down on and that's where we threw the talon and said, we need to park, we need to park and hike it. And, uh, and immediately after we did it, we told some folks, don't try this hill. And they went zooming up. <laughs> and they, sure enough, the same thing happened. They came sliding back and miraculously didn't hit any cars. And they went kind of halfway down a ravine. And so we started moving into the road. And then you hear, <laughs> and they just start, you know, they started going up. I mean, that's the definition of an insanity, right? <laughs> Doing the same thing, expecting a different result. 
And, and so for some of us, it, we need a little bit more law, right? We need a little bit uh, that clearly from an objective perspective, you're not going to make it up the hill. No matter what arrows you think that you have in your quiver and whatever resources you have, and if Tuesday wasn't proof positive that we can't handle snow, I'm not sure what it would take. I really am not. And so what the law has done is it is a gigantic snowstorm uh, that renders us uh, incapable of getting home. Absolutely incapable. But, it, but in a much, much severe way, we can't even, we can't even get out of the parking lot. Right? We're completely stuck. And so we need someone to come in. And, and when you've ever been stuck in a situation like this, I mean, one of the beautiful things that came out of the snowstorm was what? All of these good Samaritans, right, that, uh, that would come along and, uh, and help people. And uh, one of the, the things that was not so funny is, um, you know, there, uh, the, the terrible stories of, of people that were out trying to help and they themselves got themselves into trouble. And... Um, and yet, um, if you've ever been in a situation where you are in need of rescue and actually be rescued, oh, right, uh, what a feeling, right? What a feeling uh, that is. Um, and in that, all of a sudden, we are overwhelmed with comfort, uh, with joy, and with the sense that, that things are going to actually be okay. Things are going to be okay because you finally have relinquished the reins and you've handed over the absurdity and insanity of life over to somebody else. And that's what Jesus Christ has come to do. He's strapped on the snowshoes and he's come and he's dwelt amongst us to save us from the wreckage of life. And that is not a message of weakness because if you know the danger of the situation that you're in, you cry out for rescue. You long for someone to come and to, to deliver you. And so for those of us um, who are being saved, it is the very power of God. And yet to those who are perishing, those who continue to sp- you know, spin their wheels and think that I- I've got it, I've got it under control, when clearly they don't, uh, it's, it's foolishness. It's absolute uh, folly. And so we as Christians, what we can say is, yes, my life is a total mess. How are you? Not great. Not great at all. And that is not self-deprecating. It's not, uh, or it ought not to be. Uh, it's not a sense of, of, oh, woe is me. The glass is half empty. Uh, but what it is is taking a realistic inventory of our own lives and saying, it's hard. It's really, really hard. Um, and that is why uh, we do what we do around here, right? Uh, someone once said that um, the church uh, is a hospital for sinners, uh, not a country club for the righteous. Uh, and I quoted that once in a sermon, and someone from the Advent was leaving and said, I've always liked to think of the Advent as a country club for sinners. Um, uh, whatever. Right, and, and this message is powerful. It's the only thing on earth that has the power to save us from our situation. Again, that is why Paul said what he said, for what, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, uh, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Right? We, we come and we preach the gospel, and I know that there's some personality involved and some people have certain gifts when it comes to preaching, uh, but ultimately our prayer is like John the Baptist, that we might decrease and that he might increase. 
Um, Frank, of course, is famous for putting plaques in uh, pulpits. Uh, he put, woe be unto me if I do not preach the gospel here. And at St. Helena's, uh, he put, uh, sir, that we would see Jesus in, in the pulpit. And so every time uh, we climb up into the pulpit, that is our prayer. Woe be unto us if we do not preach the gospel. And ultimately, uh, that you see Jesus. That we get out of the way and we allow the Holy Spirit to do uh, His work. And it's our task to pour the word out like water and pray that God turns it into wine. That's, that's our goal. And when you actually let the Holy Spirit uh, do His work, you see changed lives. Uh, and the gospel message is, uh, is, yes, it's simple and it may seem like folly, but it is powerful. When I was at the University of Virginia as an undergrad, something like a revival, I guess it would qualify as one, uh, broke out at UVA. And it started out as just a couple people at the Center for Christian Study uh, meeting in the little all-purpose room. And uh, they'd sing a couple uh, uh, songs and then somebody might read a little bit of scripture. Some people might pray a little bit. You might sing a song or two. Um, the room begins to clear, beginning with my wife. And then, uh, and, uh, and at the very end, um, at the very end, uh, somebody would, they wouldn't do a sermon. They would just, in literally uh, two minutes, uh, say, um, you know, if you've never heard this before, we just want you to know that, that God has an unyielding, uh, undying, unending love for you, uh, so much so that he gave up uh, everything in order to come uh, into this world, uh, not only to rescue you, uh, but in order that, that you might be able to, to know him. And uh, he died on a cross for you and was raised on the third day uh, in order that you might live and have a relationship with God. Right, the gospel, the end. And uh, it eventually got to the point where it was so big it moved into the chapel. And uh, we had, I had a roommate who was a, a, a football player uh, for UVA. And um, as a side note, he had gone through quite a lot. Uh, one year at UVA, a terrible flu virus came through. And by the point it got to Mark, it had mutated. And to the point that one day, practicing for George Welch, uh, Mark said, Coach, I'm not feeling so good. And George Welch had some choice words for him and, uh, and said, Get back. And Mark collapsed. It turned out the flu virus had somehow created a film around his heart. And Mark weighs about 330 uh, and is 6'4". And uh, to find a, he needed a heart transplant, and to find a heart that big was very difficult. Well, Mark ended up getting a, a heart transplant. I, you know, sort of uh, a play on words. Um, uh, the doctor said, we've never seen a heart as big as Mark's. And Mark was just the nicest, greatest guy on the face of the earth, uh, but was openly not a Christian, not hostile toward the gospel, but just said, uh, I'm, I'm not a believer. And so our other roommate, uh, we decided, we're going we're gonna to take him to this Tuesday night thing at the chapel. And, uh, and it could go pretty long. And so we said, you know, we'll get there. And if we need to leave, we'll leave. It would start at 7. And finally, at midnight, we knew we had to leave. We had to vacate the chapel. And so we, we, had some, we got there a little bit late, probably around 8 o'clock. And, and we said to Mark, if, if there's any point in which you want to leave, we'll just leave. Same thing, a couple songs, a little bit of prayer. Someone might read uh, some scripture. And then at one point in the night... Um, Someone got up and, and gave a little three to four minute message and then uh, sat down. And at midnight, Mark said, okay, let's go. And so we walked out and we just walked in silence. And, um, and finally, my other roommate, Matt, had the guts to say, well, Mark, what did you think? And Mark just looked up and said, that was blanking 
awesome. Right. Um, and he had a very hard time articulating what it was that he had experienced. But what he said was he said there was something different, there was something other about that, and it was true. It was true. And for the first time in his life, he felt like the truth about himself and the truth about God had, had confronted him face to face. And it was one of those moments where everything converged and the Holy Spirit decided uh, to move in, in Mark's life. And, and that uh, was the night uh, that Mark became a Christian. Uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 10, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah, Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. That's why preaching and teaching is central to what we do here at the Advent. And when we preach and when we teach the gospel message, we're not treating people as spiritual statistics. We're not saying, okay, you've heard it, you've got your fire insurance, let's move on uh, to the next group. Uh, but in fact, what the gospel is, is it's holistic. It begins to permeate and change every single area uh, of, of your life. And uh, this is also why in our high doctrine of the work of the Holy Spirit in people's lives, why you won't hear from the pulpit God willing, if you do, you'll see me get the hook out if this happens. Uh, but you won't hear moralizing sermons. Right? You simply won't hear that from the pulpit uh, because they don't work. Right? Uh, number one cause of burnout in the Christian ministry are ministers who say, the people just aren't doing what I'm telling them to do. Right? I have a friend who, who had just had it, and he said, every Sunday I get up and I preach my little heart out and I preach these sermons, and I see no difference in the congregation. And my response was, well, you ought to praise God. They're not getting worse. Right? <laughs> right? That's, right that's, that's what the Bible says. Um, and uh, they're still coming. And he preached with an understanding that if I just tell them what to do, and if they're not listening to turn up the volume a little bit louder, um, maybe then, maybe then uh, they will listen. I told the story uh, this weekend at the uh, vestry retreat, uh, but uh, I was in a little prayer meeting at Truro Church in Fairfax, Virginia, and um, there was a couple there that had been in the church for years, and we just assumed that they'd always been married, and they, they kind of put themselves out there as a married couple. And... Uh, like in the middle of us praying, the woman finally stands up in the middle thing and says, uh, I can't do this anymore. We're living a lie. And uh, you either marry me or we're through. <laughs> and she leaves in tears. He's clearly ticked. And he leaves angrily. And God bless Herb McMullen, who is the priest in the room. And Herb just said, he's Canadian. Let us pray. <laughs> And, uh, and so we read, well, uh, down, uh, they, they ended up getting married. Uh, and they had, I've heard their testimony in church before, and they're a wonderful couple. And, but I was always curious what happened after that. And so I went and I asked Herb, I said, uh, what happened after that? What kind of follow-up did you have? And he said, none. I said, what do you mean none? And he said, 
clearly God was already working in their lives. Like, I mean, what was I going to say? You really should get married? I mean, he's, uh, and so uh, what Herb understood and what we understand is that when the law is preached and it's convicting people's hearts, there's nothing that I can say or any other preacher can say that can make you feel any worse than you do right now. And so what's needed uh, when the law is doing its work is the gospel message, right? And the way that we hear that is primarily through the pulpit, right? Uh, and, and that, again, goes back to why I never preach under the assumption that everybody knows what I'm talking about. Because, in fact, it may be new uh, to their ears who have heard it before. But it's also why we're a liturgical church, why we believe in the liturgy. It's not because of the pomp and pageantry, although some people appreciate it. I grew up in a very low church in Virginia where we just we didn't do all of that stuff, and uh, we were morning prayer parish. Um, some of my earliest memories, and, and this happened to Joe Gibbs, too, in his parish uh, in Columbia, but I had a rector that smoked. And so some of my earliest memories are uh, the rector, when he would have his cassock on, uh, he'd uh, have one of us hold a cigarette while he put his surplus on, and then then we'd hand it back. Uh, So that was my liturgical training. Um, Not incense, but in Virginia, tobacco, uh, which is a vegetable. So... um, But but there is is a sense of... of, um, of, uh, of the mystery and, uh, and, and elevation. I mean, it, there is something about the liturgy that, that uh, makes us realize that there is something outside of us. Uh, but what Cramer was very intentional about was that in the liturgy that you would hear the gospel message at every given opportunity. Right? So uh, little things, like think about it, uh, the summary of the law. Love God with everything that you have and your neighbor as yourself. And, and what's our response? Hip, hip, hooray. Got it. What's our response? Lord, have mercy. Why? Because we know if we're honest with ourselves, we're not keeping the law. We don't love God with, with all that we have, and, and we don't love our, our neighbors. As I, I have a hard enough time loving the people I'm related to, much less my neighbors. Right? <laughs> Lord, have mercy. Uh, and then uh, through, throughout, the, uh, we stand uh, to to pronounce uh, the fact that God has forgiven your sins. And just in case you don't believe us, uh, let's read some words from Scripture. Come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Right? We don't say uh, God has forgiven you, uh, amen, and then we begin to read from Matthew's Gospel, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Right? In the Bible, but not a comfortable word. But we have the comfortable words. And listen to the words in our communion service. Right? Um, a once-and-for-all sacrifice for the sins of the whole world, an oblation, a satisfaction for the sins of the whole world. Time and time again, and in case you didn't hear it in the service, when you come forward uh, and you kneel with open hands, we say, uh, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which was given for thee, preserve thy body and soul unto everlasting life. Take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for thee and feed upon him in thy heart by faith with thanksgiving. Uh, Drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for thee, and be thankful. Cranmer went out of his way to sort of pound this message in, and the language is beautiful, and it's poetic, uh, and there is the pageantry that comes along with the liturgy, but primarily what Cranmer wanted you to hear, God loves you, and he died for you, and has set you free. Full stop. Right. And the same is true of, of the liturgy uh, of, morning, of morning prayer. 
the prayer of humble access. I didn't mention that, but good grief. I mean, how much more gospel-driven could you get that although we are unworthy to gather up the crumbs under thy table, thou art the same Lord whose property is always, right? I need a reminder of that because there are times when I'm thinking, maybe not so property to have mercy right now. Uh, because my property is not always to have mercy, right? My property is always get what getting's good. And yet God is different from us. It's not intuitive. And the importance of the liturgy to convey the truth of the gospel and beyond the pulpit as an extension, God knows that we're not all audible learners, that that we also uh, have the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism, that in communion we actually see the representation of Jesus dying for us in the broken bread and His blood poured out for us uh, through the wine and the pressing of that bread into our hands and its administration. And in the sacrament of baptism where we die to Christ, we go into the waters of baptism and we come out on the other side something wholly different and new because of the faith that God has instilled in our hearts in Jesus. And so you have the visible representation of the gospel message in the sacraments. And in everything we say and we do here at the Advent, we put forward the gospel message. If we don't, what we say and what we do may be helpful. You might find it a little bit of help on, on Crestwood Boulevard, uh, uh, but it's not healing. It's not healing. And if we're all honest about ourselves, uh, we don't need help. We need healing. And so that's why we have a heart for the gospel message. And ultimately, it is not the gospel message. It's not about a system. It's about a person. It's about Jesus Christ uh, who has come that we might have a personal relationship with him. And, and that changes everything. It changes everything. And uh, we preach it uh, uh, not because it necessarily works, because it does work, uh, but it works because it's true. All right? It's not true because it works. It works because it's true. And so we simply put the truth out there and allow God uh, to do his work. And you sitting here are uh, a testimony to that. So with that, I ask any comments, questions, concerns? I'm waiting for the day in the dean's class in probably about a year and a half from now where you'll have nothing but awful things to say to me. Uh, I've listened to the Paul's All tapes, uh, and uh, I know the day is coming. Okay. Well, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great work that you have done uh, in this Sunday school hour. Lord, the seeds that have been sown in so many classes uh, here at the Advent and in the worship of you. Uh, but above all, Lord, we are um, nothing but servants uh, who are doing uh, your bidding, the bidding of the Master. And so, Lord, uh, keep us faithful to the gospel message, but above all, keep us close to you, uh, our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.